Could 2019 be the year of robo-lawyers? MOTs for your gut bacteria or even city-wide brains? Well, each year, Nestor experts take a punt on the big trends and technologies that'll be affecting many of us and testing their predictions with a live audience to see what the crowd thinks will really take off in the next 12 months. For this special episode of Future Curious, I went to Nestor's predictions event to meet the brave experts putting their reputations on the line. We'll be talking to some of the experts putting their reputations on the line later on, but first joining me is Nesta's Chief Executive, Jeff Mulgan. Jeff, thanks for joining us this evening. What's the ethos behind Nesta's predictions? Why do you do it each year? We do quite a, thing, a few things around futures, really to try and help people feel confident in understanding the big trends, the big shocks, the big challenges, but above all, to give people more of a, a sense of power to shape the future rather than just being passive observers or victims. We do that through big events like Future Fest, we do it through publications, and every year we do it through these predictions, which are really as much there to, I think, provoke and encourage people to see things in a new way, as well as being predictions. But it's really the, 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 um, the impact, the reaction we're after. So there's a really wide variety of predictions this year. Are there any particular ones that are your favourites that really caught your eye? Well, I contributed to one of them, which was about how China is creating really a next generation of smart cities. And my prediction is that for the US, at some point in the next year or two, this will come as a shock when they realise they've been overtaken in cutting-edge technologies by their great global rival, just as happened in the 50s when the Soviet Union uh, overtook the US with the Sputnik satellite. But I think my favourite prediction this year is actually the one about guts. And really the, the, the understanding that so much of our physical and mental well-being is shaped by what happens in our stomachs. And this is really, a, I think, a complete change about how we think about ourselves as humans, which is only just beginning to percolate through. But I think we'll have a, a, a big, big impact on daily life in the years to come. So you've been doing your predictions at Nesta now for a number of years. What's your hit rate like? Uh, uh, do, do, do some of these come true? We've got a reasonably good hit rate in terms of the direction of travel, even though we've often got wrong how quickly things would change. So I think we really spotted all the big issues on data and privacy and how they're going to have an effect, the rise of the sharing economy, the rise of new tools like crowdfunding. We did get some dramatically wrong. We, we predicted smell-o-vision, which I'm glad to say still hasn't really arrived, though some, somebody claimed to me the other day that there was something like that there. Um, and... Uh, in a way that the message of this sort of exercise, and probably it's because people at Nessa are very immersed in the creation of the future, not just the observation of it, that I'd say 80 to 90% of the things we predicted have happened in some similar form, even if not immediately that year they were predicted. Well, we'll see what the crowd's favourite is this year. But meanwhile, Jeff, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you.
So the event is in full swing and the predictors have each been on stage to persuade the audience to vote for them and their predictions as the winner. Joining me now is Nesta's Director of Explorations, Celia Hannan. Celia, uh, so which predictions emerged as the crowd's favourite this evening? Well, interestingly, a prediction around the rise of deep fakes was voted the most likely to occur in 2019. Um, and it's actually quite a, a dystopian prediction. So it's looking at how AI and computer-generated footage could be capable of creating recordings of an individual which seem so convincing we mistake them for the real thing. And Catcher, who's the author of that prediction was saying that actually this type of technology could be uh, used maliciously in the future so actually we need to get much better at spotting it and learning how to discriminate between uh, fake and authentic footage so that's the one the audience went for. Well we'll be talking to Katya a little later on to find out more about that. Um, this is essentially a, a fun event uh, but there is a serious side to Nesta's predictions isn't it that what what impact can just making a prediction actually have do you think yeah so you're right predictions can be entertaining and I was talking about that um, uh, at the beginning of the event so we've always used predictions to to generate storylines and speculate about what the future might hold but yeah at Nesta we do think that predictions have a very serious underlying point so on one hand they actually allow us to stop and stand back and actually think about what the unintended consequences of a trend or technology might be before we get too used to it and we cease questioning it. Um, the other side of making predictions is that sometimes they can be inspiring. They can actually help us to create a future that we want to create. Um, and a lot of the time at Nesta, we're making predictions in areas that we're actually working on. And so you'll probably hear later about predictions we're making uh, in the area of assistive technologies for people living with disabilities and those sorts of areas of work where actually we're trying to be part of the future that we are predicting. Great, well let's uh, go and meet some of the experts to hear more about what they think will be in store for us in the next year. So here we are in front of a wall of uh, dictators' faces. Well, it depends how you uh, view them, but we've got uh, Putins and we've got Uns and we've got Trumps in front of us. And one looks more suspicious than the rest of them. Uh, to explain a little bit more about her prediction uh, is uh, Katja Bago. Um, Katja, tell us a little bit more about what's, uh, what your prediction is. And, and congratulations, it was the favourite one, wasn't it? Sure. So my prediction was that 2019 would be the year we would see a deepfake uh, concept, a geopolitical incident. And the idea is that deepfake technology is quite a new emerging technology that um, allows basically anyone with, with a basic computer to create using artificial intelligence tools, really, sort of uh, videos of anyone and anyone they want to. And it can make them say anything they want to. It's quite scary technology. Uh, and my prediction was is that uh, this technology would be used um, sort of for quite malicious ends, particularly in sort of political sphere, in the geopolitical sort of sphere. So you can, for example, use deep fakes to create um, like a, a fake video of a world leader declaring war on a sort of enemy state, or you could, you could do lots of things with it. So it's quite an uh, interesting time to see it develop. And, and my prediction is that um, unless we do something about it and develop some alternatives, we'll quite quickly uh, see some sort of uh, 
crisis emerge around deepfakes. It's a bit of a dark one, I guess. It is quite a dark, dystopian view of the future. Um, yeah. Celia, um, what do you think? Is this? We can we learn from these kinds of predictions because. I guess we do have to learn pretty quickly and perhaps faster than the machines can actually turn these things out, don't we? I think that's exactly the point because many people were really blindsided by the arrival of fake news and suddenly it was shaping our world before we were even really aware of what kind of technology it was and what it was capable of. And I think what's interesting about Katja's prediction is she's really saying, let's understand what this is capable of now, understand how we combat it and respond to it, and then it's less likely to have malicious outcomes further down the track. So I guess it's a bittersweet moment. You're hoping, although that this was the audience's favourite, that it's not going to come true, Katya. Yeah, exactly. So there's actually, so deepfake technology is developing really quickly, but also solutions or methods to detect deepfakes, they're also coming uh, together now. So both on the technological side, there's really interesting tools that can spot sort of if someone's heartbeat isn't quite right or if they're not blinking often enough in a deepfake which can help spot uh, deepfakes. So also, I personally think the solution should be more on the social side, societal side of things. So deepfakes are really a product of a very polarized society right now where we believe everything as long as it sort of fits our political tribe. Um, and that we need to address now. And if we do that, and I think we can, because we're still on time in principle, uh, we, we can still stop this or we can sort of prevent this kind of crisis. Well, congratulations. Thanks very much indeed, Katya. So, Celia, uh, we're in front of one of the exhibits here. Tell us what we're seeing. So, we're actually looking at almost a, a manifestation of a robo-lawyer. So, actually, what would it look like if some judgments or decisions were being handed down by machines? And that's really the theme of Ollie's prediction, which is looking at how uh, machines could increasingly be involved in both helping us to access justice and dispensing it. So, Ollie Usher, you're the research manager for technology and innovation at Nestor's Challenge Prize Centre. This is your prediction about robo-lawyers. Are, are we really going to be seeing robots and artificial intelligence doing our divorces in 2019? Uh, we might do, but I think actually it's quite simple tasks that robo-lawyers are likely to be doing first. Um, resolving disputes, for example, over a tenancy deposit, uh, or just helping you know which service to access, um, which then means that people who actually need access to justice can conserve what little money they have to spend on a real lawyer for where the real lawyer genuinely adds value through giving advice and actually telling them what to do. So it's probably more about signposting and guiding you through the system than it is about really making decisions, at least in the, in the first instance. And what led you to make this prediction right now? You, you, part of your business is to kind of read the runes of technology and decide when these things are going to mature enough. What gave you the indication that this was going to be the moment for this? This is a really simple one, actually. We're, we're actually working on a project to do just this this year. So we're working with the Solicitors Regulation Authority just now uh, to do a challenge prize on access to justice using technology and AI. And part of the reason that they're interested in doing that actually is partly to encourage development of kind of quite socially useful legal tech, uh, you know, stuff that helps people access justice, maybe more than something that helps process documents in a commercial law firm, uh, but also to use that as a learning exercise um, to find out whether the way that they regulate the law just now is fit for purpose in a world where legal AI and legal technology is making recommendations, advice and making decisions. And that's something we're going to have to find out. Well, I know that the robo-lawyer uh, prediction was one of the top ones uh, in the pile, the most popular with the audience, so congratulations, thanks for talking to us. Thank you very much.
So we've come over to uh, another of the exhibits which illustrates uh, one of the predictions. Uh, it's quite a, well, it's an open body. Uh, it's quite an amazing thing uh, to, to look at. Uh, and joining me now is Sinead McManus, who's the senior program manager for digital health at Nesta. An MOT for your gut. Yes, Nigel. Um, so I'm predicting in 2019 we'll all be paying a little bit more attention to our guts. So we're seeing a new era of data-driven microbiome management, which we think is going to be the next health craze this year. Give us a bit more detail about that, because that sounds fascinating. There's been a lot of talk about um, our relationship with uh, the, the bacteria in our gut for quite a long time, and we keep drinking these bacterial probiotic drinks and that sort of thing. How is your prediction going to be different from what we already know and, and behave in relation to our gut? I think it's really exciting because over the years we've seen a real growth in people doing lots of things like eating pro probiotics and those little juice drinks and you know kombucha and kefir and all these things but actually what we're really seeing now is results of the science actually backing up some of the things that we've kind of instinctively known is that our gut health is really linked to um, a range of conditions you know everything from cancer to autism obesity diabetes but also really interesting linked to things like sleep and our mental well-being so I think um, now that the science is really starting to back up these things I think we're going to be a more um, data-driven approach to how we manage our gut health. And by that we mean a dialogue with our gut in a way, you know, finding out perhaps in real time what's going on down there and how what we eat through the day and over the week might be able to manage that, I guess. Absolutely. I think one of the things we we've, we are seeing come through more and more is this idea about sequencing our gut to see what actually are all the cells and what's going on down there. But a lot of these technologies are still very expensive. They're not really accessible to everybody. And actually one of the interesting things we're seeing from actually a project we're doing up in Scotland is um, this uh, democratization of gut health by making taking more of a population approach. So people like you who've got a gut like this should eat these particular things. I think that could potentially really disrupt this market this year, which is very exciting. I won't ask you for a, a, an adjudication on the canapes this evening. They do look delicious, but I'm not going to overindulge on them. Uh, Sinead, thank you very much indeed for, uh, for telling us about that. We're standing in front of a calendar which is uh, on a, an iPad and it's constantly moving around and you don't really know which bits of the weekend and which bits of the working days and that's very deliberate and joining me now to tell me more about that is Georgina Ward-Dyer who's a researcher and curation assistant at the Futures and Explorations team. Uh, Georgia, just tell me um, what, what, what your prediction is and, and what this is intended to demonstrate. Sure. So, um, so this year I am predicting that it is the end of the working week as we know it. So, um, you know, we, we, we think of the week as something that's like foundational part of everything, the rhythm of our lives. But um, actually, over time, we've had very different length weeks. Um, you know, there have been like three-day weeks, ten-day weeks, eight-day weeks. There's no natural reason why we have to have a seven-day week. And definitely no natural reason why we only have a two-day weekend, um, which only dates from the 50s. Um, so my argument is that the, the kind of 40-hour, nine-to-five, you know, two-day weekend working week just isn't fit for purpose anymore. But um, this could change everything about our lives. You know, everything about how we, you know, when we socialize, like our commuting. Commuting is completely linked to working week as it is now um, and things like TV schedule as well you know like when's the big sports game in the week would, would it be Saturday still no I mean not if we're all on our own schedules so that's that's my prediction for this year fascinating stuff I could do with a three-day weekend I like the sound of that Georgia Wardai thank you for joining us thanks Nigel 
So one of the very popular predictions this evening uh, was from Matt Stokes, who's a senior researcher in uh, digital social innovation. Uh, Matt, uh, who do you think you're talking to? We're all going to demand that right uh, in, in 2019, according to you. Yes, yeah, so I think that in 2019, we're going to start demanding more of algorithms and artificial intelligence. I think that in a lot of areas, from kind of medicine to social care to recruitment, Nowadays, algorithms are making decisions about everything, uh, and a lot of the time we don't know about that. So I think that in 2019, we're going to be start, starting to demand that actually we need to know when algorithms are involved in making decisions about us and our lives and our families, and we're also going to be demanding to know how those decisions are made. That sounds a really empowering message. Um, what's made you arrive at that decision right now? Have you had evidence, have you seen evidence recently that uh, these decisions are being made about our lives without us knowing? So there's a lot of evidence about uh, how algorithms are being used by governments, by companies, by uh, lots of organizations in kind of areas that affect every part of our life. Um, and there's also a lot of evidence showing that often these might be discriminatory, biased or unfair. There's examples of uh, sexist hiring in, in uh, algorithmic recruitment processes, uh, racist decisions in parole se and sentencing over in the US. And there's been a lot of uh, research recently on this bias, this discrimination, and also a growing number of people who want to uh, make a difference by kind of challenging these claims. Uh, again, over in the US, a lot of people trying to challenge these decisions which are being made by algorithms. Um, I think over here in the UK, we've not had so much backlash against uh, these algorithmic decisions, but there's a lot of uh, fear, I think, growing, particularly in the research community. And I think that over the next year or two, people, uh, people, normal citizens will start to think about these risks. Um, you know, there's one thing reading about something in the newspaper and it's a completely different thing when you're told you can't get a mortgage because of an algorithmic decision or when you're told, uh, you know, when social services come knocking at your door because of something an algorithm uh, decided. So I think once people start, uh, start seeing it really personally, they're going to demand change. Matt, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. Well, we've heard some pretty uh, dystopian predictions uh, over the course of this evening, uh, with uh, AI uh, being very discriminatory and, and maybe deep fakes causing major international uh, incidents. But one of the more positive and uplifting predictions uh, comes from Charlotte Macken, who's the prize design manager at Nesta's Challenge Prize Centre. Charlotte, um, a mobility in revol a revolution in mobility, I should say. Uh, tell us more about that. It sounds really optimistic your prediction for 2019? It is optimistic and it's also a bit of a call to action. So disabled people tend to be really underserved by the technology available to them. Quite frankly, companies would be embarrassed to put out the technology they put out for disabled people for any other group. And actually disabled people are not a homogenized group. They are diverse, they are individuals and they have different wants and needs. And hopefully what I'm saying is that when we look at the changing demographics of the UK, the baby boomers aging, that correlation with disability, you know, there starts to be more money on the table. Companies should really develop this technology anyway, but we live in a capitalist society. So hopefully that shift in demographics and the new technologies available to us, thanks to the fourth industrial revolution, will mean that we really see some great stuff coming through. So what kind of technologies are we talking about here? I mean, uh, what, what things have, have you seen coming onto the horizon which you're predicting are gonna start uh, really getting to a critical mass in 2019? That is difficult to say because the first thing to remember is that 
assistive technology is an incredibly broad field. But for example, through the Mobility Unlimited Challenge, we're supporting uh, mobility software, mobility solutions, uh, physical devices that incorporate software which will allow them to be more dynamic and responsive. So we're seeing the development of uh, adaptations to manual wheelchairs that will allow them to be more dynamic in the way that they balance, making it easier and safer for users. We're going to see exoskeletons that respond to people's bodies and seeing an orthotic device that will allow people with foot drops, so people who struggle to walk, to be more confident in their gait. So that's just some of the devices that we're seeing. But we're also, we've supported through other prizes software that will allow people who previously didn't have a voice to be able to speak and express themselves. So there's some really exciting stuff coming into the market, uh, but it's just a long tail because of obviously the medical device process that you have to go through. Plenty to be optimistic about. Charlotte, thank you very much indeed for joining us this evening. Uh, so there you have it, deep fakes videos becoming weaponized. That is the firm favorite of the crowd here at Nesta's Predictions event 2019. Let's see whether it comes true. Thanks for listening to Future Curious. If you liked what you heard, please do share the podcast and rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us grow our audience. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or visit nesta.org.uk forward slash futurecurious to find out more and check out the other episodes in the series. Thank you and stay curious. Future Curious is a Chalk and Blade production. The producers were Ruth Barnes, Laura Sheeter, and Lily Ames. Original music is by Jed Flood. <laughs>